podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Friday, the 12th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're normally geo-blocked from. So UK expats wanting access to BBC iPlayer for Match of the Day this weekend, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you want to go and... Keep your data safe. Check at libertyshield.com. You've got the option of the hardware package, which is a router that you plug into your normal broadband router, and you can connect certain devices to it, set it to whatever location you choose, and that will be your new IP address for devices connected to that router. You can still connect the rest of your devices to your normal router and have your usual IP address. You can also have the software package, which is just instantly downloadable to your device and get using straight away. Use the code EPL25, that's EPL25 at checkout and get 25% off. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, it is Friday. It is sweltering. Today's high is to be 29 degrees. That is just a little bit too hot for Irish people. We're not built for this. We need rain and dreariness. That's when we really start to come into our own and thrive. We're those footballers that like a nice heavy pitch, a nice bog, and we trundle through it. This good weather stuff, this is not for us. This is for soft people. Um, So if I'm stumbling over my words again, it's a combination of the heat, and I'm still obviously getting my COVID aftermath. But it is Friday. We've got Guy Drinkle. He'll be with us in a few minutes. We're going to run through some of the news, do the gossip, then we'll bring in Guy, and uh, we'll preview this weekend's games. So... Bad news for the tune. John Joe Shelby faces three months out after having surgery. He obviously missed the start of the season with a hamstring injury. He's now had an operation and they expect him to be out for around 12 weeks. That is a blow. That is a blow for Newcastle. Even if he wasn't going to be an every game starter, he's a nice backup to have to Gamerish in that number six position because he doesn't have Gamerish's abilities or, or wide-ranging skill sets, but he is a decent player. He can pass the ball very well. He's tough. He brings leadership. He brings organisation. It's a loss. It's a loss for Newcastle and uh, one that they'll have to hope they can get over moving forward. Eric Ten Hag says he expects Marcus Rashford to stay at Manchester United. In the last couple of days, interest from Paris Saint-Germain has become public knowledge. I believe it was Julian Laurent who made that known. P- 
PSG are looking for a number nine. They're looking for somebody that can come in and allow them to move Icardi out the door because they no longer want to have a, a part of the Maro Icardi business. Manchester United have been linked to Icardi. I have to say, like, United's dressing room has obviously been toxic for years. Uh, we saw Lukaku sulk and moan. We saw what happened with Pogba. Oli just sort of let the inmates run the asylum. And last year, obviously, the Cristiano thing, the clash of personalities with Maguire, Maguire's inability to lead a dressing room, that created an absolute mess. I can't think of much worse than as you're trying to rebuild, move out the negativity move out the disruptive parties to bring in Mauro Icardi and Adrian Rabio. And it's not just them. It's not them specifically as individuals. It's what comes with them. It's Icardi's wife and the circus she creates. It's Rabio's mother and the enormous pain in the arse that that woman is. After years of United fans losing their minds over what Mino Riola had to say about the club, I can't imagine what they'd go through with Rabio's mother and Icardi's wife, who represent them, are their agents, and just cause absolute havoc wherever those two players go. We saw what happened last season, or if you didn't see it, just Google Mauro Icardi, and I think it's Wanda... Wanda Nera, Wanda Nara, whatever her name is. Just have a look into what went on with those two last season. Catastrophic stuff in the PSG dressing room. Same thing with Rabio. His mother caused trouble at PSG. She's caused trouble at Juventus. I, I don't understand it. I can understand why Rashford would want to leave. I could understand him being quite desperate to leave. Even though United are his boyhood club, he's been at the club since he was a child. He grew up supporting them. It's all he's ever wanted to do was play for United. But he's obviously hit a wall in his development the last couple of seasons. He has been badly managed. I mean, Mourinho got a lot out of him. Oli did initially as well, but Oli's a PE teacher. Ranić had no real interest in developing anybody. He just wanted to set the world on fire. Ten Hag does seem like the type of coach who could help Rashford develop, but is Rashford looking around that dressing room and thinking this is a lost cause? Now, apparently United have put a large asking price on Rashford, which is obviously their right to do, but might cause problems, might cause more toxicity between the club and a player. Rashford is at a contract next summer, but United have the option to extend that by one year, which we know that they'll do. So they're asking allegedly over 100 million which is quite clearly foolish because he's not worth that kind of money but also could cause some trouble so that's one to keep an eye on really good piece on the bbc website entitled 19 years and 23 sorry 19 managers and 23 years it's about nottingham forest and their time out of the top flight really really good give that one a read um manchester city have agreed a fee with andelect for young left-back Sergio Gomez, Spanish player, under-21 international, uh, an exciting, typically Spanish left-back, very good going forward. 
questionable defensively. Uh, Spain's fullbacks come in two boxes. There is the left-back version. They're all really, really good going forward, really aggressive in their attacking play, very good crosses of the ball, and all very questionable defensively. They all come between five foot seven and five foot nine. You you can't get one that's bigger or smaller. Maybe maybe Grimaldo is smaller, but he is the same type of left back. Him, Jordi Alba, Gaia, Cucurella. Cucurella is probably the best of them defensively, but he's not great defensively. Um, they all come in that sort of package, and then right backs tend to be sort of five nine to five eleven, far more defensive minded. Good on the ball, but not adventurous with the ball. Solid more than spectacular. Aspilicueta, Carvial, Juan Fran, Arbeloa, that sort of person. Those are the right backs. These are the left backs. That's what Spain do. How they do it, I don't know. Maybe it's when the, their, their kids, they bring in doctors to estimate their height. They obviously take a look at what foot you kick with as well. And they look at your little skill set when you're 10 or 12 and say, right, you're going to be a left back. You're good going forward. Don't worry about developing as a defender. Just get yourself forward, son, and get that ball in the box. Beat that last man and whip in a lovely pal, a lovely cross. That's all you need. Um, this apparently will not affect City's want to bring in a senior left back. I wonder if now they might look to bring in more of a senior right back, though. Because Cancelo's the starting left-back, so having a young player like Gomez behind him makes sense. I wonder if they might look to bring in someone who's a little bit more established as a backup slash successor to Kyle Walker. One to follow. One to follow. Uh, Jurgen Klopp hopes Thiago will be back in a month. It's not really what he said. He said he'd read four to six weeks, meaning the newspapers had speculated four to six weeks, and he would prefer four weeks. But all indications are it's a minimum of six weeks that Liverpool will be without their best midfielder, which obviously isn't great. It isn't great, uh, especially when the other options outside of Fabinho all have enormous question marks. Barnsley have ended their shirt sponsorship uh, deal with a cryptocurrency firm over homophobic tweets. Barnsley have ended their relationship with shirt sponsor Hex.com following an investigation into homophobic social media posts allegedly made following the announcement of their partnership. The decision comes just seven days after the League One club announced the deal with the cryptocurrency firm. In a statement, the Tykes said that they had taken steps to end the relationship with immediate effect. They added that they value the fans and core beliefs above everything else. Homophobic tweets from two individuals thanked by Hex.com's Brent Morrissey when the deal went through circulated in the deals after in the days after the announcement. Barnsley FC supporter club, uh, sorry, supporter trust, had questioned the club over its involvement with the firm earlier in the week, with the Tykes later pledging to investigate. On Wednesday, Morrissey released a statement saying that the two individuals concerned were not associated with the deal in any official or legal capacity. Rainbow Reds, Brighton's official LGBTQ plus supporters group, said they were delighted that the club's decision to end, with the club's decision to end their relationship with the company. 
Nobody is exempt from making mistakes. And despite this being a relatively large error, we fully forgive the club for any wrongdoing. So Barnsley will now, I assume, start the season without or play the next couple of games without a shirt sponsor. Uh, Raheem Sterling has said that he couldn't stay at Manchester City and waste time. Raheem Sterling said he couldn't afford to waste time by staying at Man City. Since 2018-19, the 27-year-old made fewer league starts every season for City, with 23 last term. After seven years at City, Sterling wanted a fresh challenge and made his £50 million move to Chelsea last season. Since I was 17, I've been a regular starter. And to get to the peak of my career and not be playing regularly was something I would not accept. My personality is to fight and change the scenario. But it didn't come and that was it. As a person, you strive to achieve. And I felt my time at City was getting limited on playing time for different reasons. I couldn't afford to waste that time. So I needed to keep that same level and a fresh challenge. I think Pep managed him quite poorly. Now, I know they won back-to-back league titles, so you know he, he can say it worked. But let's be fair, Raheem Sterling is better than... Well, he's better than any attacker City played last season. He's a better player than Foden is right now. He's better than Mares. He's better than Gabriel Jesus by a considerable margin. He's better than Jack Grealish by a considerable margin. So for him not to be starting more regularly... Yeah, you can see why he'd get the hump and uh, and decide to move on. He wasn't going to extend his contract. Seems like he'd fallen out with Pep. And um, yeah, on he moves. On he moves to Chelsea and I'm sure he'll do very, very well. Uh, let's do the gossip and then we'll bring in Guy. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are in talks with Marcus Rashford's representatives over a move to France for the United striker. United are also scheduled to meet Adrian Rabio's mother and agent after agreeing a fee. That'll be some conversation. She might end up running the club after that conversation. Manchester City are in, are interested in signing Atletico Madrid's Brazilian left-back, Renan Lodi. He's a very good player. He has stagnated a little bit at, at Atleti. But in Pep's system, he might well take off. Arsenal's left-back, Kieran Tierney, is among the names on City's shortlist. I, I, I don't really think that's true. Spain sent him... Although, if he's not going to be in the team, if, if Arteta's going to insist on playing Zinchenko there, Tierney will get the hump and want to go because he's not the type to sit on the bench. Spain centre-back, Pablo Mari, has agreed a switch to Monza. That one's done. Former Arsenal and Gabon striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang would prefer to stay at Barcelona than return to the Premier League with Chelsea. But Thomas Tuchel is pressuring Todd Bowley to sign Aubameyang. Obviously, he had Aubameyang at Dortmund. They had a very good relationship. It's probably the best Oba's ever been. He's a different player now, though. So I wouldn't be putting all my eggs in the Aubameyang basket at this point. We saw him for 18 months at at Arsenal, really, really drag his arse along the ground. Um, Nottingham Forest have made an opening bid for Emmanuel Dennis of Watford. They've also been linked with somebody else, Moses Simon, uh, who's another Nigerian. So they're looking at maybe getting Dennis, Simon, and they've got a 1E in, just all the Nigerian forwards. 
I like it. I like it. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis would be a really good get for them. If they went Brennan Johnson, Awani and Dennis as their front three in a 3-4-3, I think that will be a problem for Premier League defences. Atalanta will rival Forrest for the signing of Italy wing-back Emerson Palmieri. So apparently Forrest are looking to bring in a left-back on a short-term deal because Omar Richards is out until October with an injury. I think if they can find a loan, that's probably their best bet. I wouldn't be spending more money to buy somebody. Southampton's Che Adams is interested in the move to Everton, but there is competition from Leeds, Wolves and Forest for the Scotland striker. If they're willing to let him go, they need to bring in two strikers, Southampton. They need one as is, and if he goes, they'll need another because they've only got one at the minute. Well, they've got two. They've got Adams and they've got Armstrong. But if Armstrong's only one left, they'll need two more. Everton hope to finalise a deal for Guinea striker Serhu Gurassi from Wren before the end of the week. I think he's quite average, to be honest. Uh, former Manchester United manager Ralph Ranić has suggested that Stuttgart's Austrian striker Sasa Kalasic should reject a move to Old Trafford. This is magnificent. Uh, West Ham remain in talks to sign Thilo Carrere. Croatian, it says Ford, but he's a midfielder. And Nikola Vlasic has signed for Torino on loan with an option to join permanently next year. Roma have cooled their interest in selling Nicolo Zaniolo. I'm not sure they ever had real interest in selling him. Uh, this is a contradictory report to the one above about Everton. Uh, that they do want a striker, but that their target is Ludovic Ayork from Strasbourg. Now, he would be interesting because he'd be a really good alternative to Calvert-Lewin. And I think he'd be comfortable enough with a squad role. So that could be a clever signing. Juventus are close to finalising a deal for Memphis Depay. He was linked with West Ham today, but Moyes has come out and denied it. Marseille have made contact with Manchester United over a loan deal for Eric Bailly. Bayer Leverkusen Spanish winger Iker Bravo, who's 17, will join Real Madrid on a season-long loan. If ever there was a pointless transfer, he's going to go and play for Real Madrid's Castilla team, underage. He might as well have stayed at Leverkusen and played for the under-21 team. He'd have played more first-team minutes for Leverkusen than he will for Real. Championship clubs Watford, Burnley, Blackburn and Sheffield United are vying to take Liverpool's Dutch defender Sepp Vandenberg on loan. From what I hear, it looks like Blackburn will win that race. Former Chelsea and Spain striker Diego Costa is returning to Rio Vallecano after being without a club since his Atletico Monero contract was terminated in January. I like this. I do really like this. I hope this is true. Now, obviously, last season, Viacano made a splash when they signed Radamel Falco. Now, Radamel Falco and Diego Costa are longtime friends. They played together at Atletico Madrid about nine, ten years ago. Costa played largely off the left. Falco played through the middle. 
and it was a very, very good pairing. Uh, they were together for two seasons. And let me just get the numbers up. Falcao scored 36 and 50 and 34, sorry, yeah, 34 and 41. And in those same seasons, Costa scored 8 and 39 in the first year. And then in the second year, he really took off and scored 20 in 44. So that 2012-13 season, before Falca went to Monaco, those two together scored 54 goals. It's pretty impressive. Who else was in that squad? Who else can Rayo Vallecano get to recreate the magic? So Thibaut Courtois was the goalkeeper. Uh, the defence was classic Atleti. Juan Fran at right back, Felipe Luiz at left back, Diego Godin as one of the centre-backs. The other centre-back was Miranda, of course, Miranda. Uh, that might be still the best defence they've had. They had decent defensive depth. Manquillo, Insua was there. Um, yeah, strong defence. Silvio was there. Cata Diaz was there. He was decent for them. A lunatic, but decent. Uh, in midfield, they had Mario Suarez. They had Thiago Mendes. They had Koke. They had Arda Turan and they had Gabi. Now, the starting midfield was generally Suarez, Koke, Turan and Gabi. Koke played on the right. Suarez and Gabi in the middle and uh, Turan off to the left. And then Falco played up front and Costa would drift out to the left from there. They also had Adrian as another attacking option. That was a very, very strong Atleti squad. Loads of uh, loads of Simeone-type players in that squad. They made the round of 32 in the Europa League, having, uh, having had a difficult season the year before. Where did they finish in the league that year? Third. Third. And they won the Copa del Rey. Yeah, pretty good. Be good to see the two boys back together. That's... The only thing that really matters is getting those two back together. That could be fun. Nice way for Costa to see out his career as well, because it's all been a bit crap for him the last few years. True, no real fault of his own. Anyway, what we'll do, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll bring in young Drinkle and we'll rattle through the 10 Premier League games this week. So I'll see you in a couple of minutes. Right, welcome back. We are joined by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? Warm. Very yes. warm. Very, very warm. Very, very warm. Things did not go our way last weekend, but hopefully they will this weekend. But before we get to the Liverpool game, there are nine others starting tomorrow at 12.30pm. There is indeed Uh Bit early on in the season, I reckon, for games like this being on TV, Dave. <laughs> bit yes. disrespectful, but this is a this is a November type of TV game. It is, but Villa against Everton. Uh, Villa had 
the worst start possible, I think. And Everton, well, Chelsea was never an easy game, to be fair to them. But maybe it's just intriguing to see what teams do, maybe on a more level playing field, because Bournemouth is a, a big question mark what they'd actually be. Whereas these two teams, probably the two underperformings from last season. Yeah, very much so. Um, Everton obviously found themselves in a relegation scrap and Villa just sort of stumbled and bumbled their whole way through the season. Uh, this game is on TV because of the managers. It's not on TV because of the teams. It's on TV because it's Gerrard versus Lampard. And Sky want the narrative. They want to talk about Gerrard and Lampard as managers because the hope is that one of them becomes a great English manager. The signs are that neither will be. I actually uh, completely forgot they were the managers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is the only reason yeah, this came yeah. That's a good point, that's a good point. So like you said, last weekend, Villa played Bournemouth. They lose 2-0. They concede two really poor goals. Chelsea play at home to Everton. I'm oh, sorry, Everton play at home to Chelsea. They play a 5-5-0 attack. Calvert-Lewin's obviously out for months. Um, you didn't really expect them to get a whole lot more than a beating. You just, for them, you were hoping it wouldn't be too heavy of a beating. Going into this game, Villa, no Courtney House and Tyron Mings is a doubt. Now, Tyron Mings obviously was dropped last week, having had the captaincy stripped from him. So, We'll see if he's back. Gerard has made some rather strange statements about, you know, Wings having to look him in the eye and all kind of stuff, which tells me that the biggest influence on Gerard, the manager, was Brendan Rodgers, which is never a good thing. Everton have concerning injuries, though. Andros Townsend out long term. Ben Godfrey out long term after that horrific injury last weekend. Calvert-Lewin out for... Minimum six weeks, probably longer. Andre Gomes, he's still out. He probably wouldn't start anyway. Tom Davies is back, so he should be fit. At least fit enough to make the bench. And then Yerry Mina, he's going to be out for a while. Ankle ligament problem, it could be months. With the way he heals, it could be years. So with Everton having their best defender and Mina out, Godfrey out, who's Probably the third best defender, Tarkovsky being the second. Uh, that's problematic. The best goal scorers out as well. They they've brought in Connor Cody. That indicates they're going to stick with the back three. So, I mean, could they possibly roll out Michael Keane, Connor Cody, and James Tarkovsky as a three in what will be the slowest back three the world has ever seen? Lampard made some silly comments about, well, Cody can play in a four because he's played there for England. Um, he's played in the back four, I think, five times for England. Uh, two of them were against San Marino, and two others were against a similar level of team. Not quite Premier League calibre. Um, I don't see Everton getting much from this game. I think Villa will win the game at home, in front of their own fans. Gerard will be demanding a reaction after last week. You'd hope that they've spent significant time this week defending set pieces in training and then reacting to the second ball because that's what cost them last weekend. I'm going to go for the home win. I think it will be a fairly ugly game. 
but I'll say 2-0 to Villa. My only question there is, Dave, who's doing goals for Villa? Because Ollie Watkins not getting the first game of the season with Bailey and Coutinho behind. I mean, I think Watkins will start this weekend with Bailey and Coutinho. I think he, I think that's one change that he will make mm. is he'll get Watkins in for that ability to hold the ball up, just be a menace, and just yeah, more physicality. Danny Ings needs a partner. Mm. Watkins can play up front on his own. I, I I do think Watkins would be better with a partner, but he can play up front on his own. I think he'll play Watkins from the start. I think Coutinho between the lines, if Everton play a back three with Michael Keane, Cody and Tarkovsky, there's going to be a lot of space in front of them because they're going to sit really deep. Yeah. I think that's where Coutinho will cause them problems. So I think Coutinho will score. And it wouldn't surprise me if the second goal came from someone like Leon Bailey. But I think Watkins will cause them problems with his physicality, his pace, his ability in the air, things like that. Uh, if you're looking for one to watch from this game, the one I'm looking forward to seeing, now, I don't know if he'll start, mm. is Amadou Onana. I really want to see what this kid looks like in the Premier League. I think he's a massive talent. I can't believe Everton got him. I think he would have been better off going to West Ham. But if he plays, I just really want to see how he does. I completely forgot about that segment. <laughs> uh, one weekend, still still preseason. Um, yeah, should be an interesting one. It can't help, uh, can't hurt putting someone that new into Everton's midfield because I think we've said Dakura is probably the only one who's somewhat reliable. Um, but moving on to the next game, Arsenal against Leicester. Um, Arsenal promising start, well, promising half uh, against mm. Palace, and then it kind of turned a bit messier. And Leicester, I, I haven't actually seen the highlights of their first game, but I know by other podcasts and yourself, obviously, that going 2-0 up and then kind of crumbling is is the way. It's a very Leicester <laughs> yes, thing to do. Yes, it is the way. And the surrounding the players, like Fafana's not really on quite. The Madison stuff has, to be fair. Um, I saw they were signing Alex Smithies as, <laughs> hopefully not as first-choice uh, goalkeeper for Leicester. Um but surely this is a good opportunity for Arsenal again. Yeah, it is. Uh, just on Alex Smithies, he had a trial with Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago and Bournemouth decided he wasn't of the standard they needed. So Leicester have decided he's good enough for them. Now, he'll be, in all likelihood, the third keeper. So, you know, it's grand if that's what you want to do. But your number one is Danny Ward. That's problematic for me. Um... Leicester come into this game. Ricardo Pereira is out long term. He's out till February. Ryan Bertrand is out. Harvey Barnes is out for the couple of weeks. So Pereira and Barnes are big blows. You're losing two nailed on starters there. For Arsenal, they're hoping to be at full strength. Fabio Vieira has an ankle injury. They're hoping he'll be back. He's doing bits of training. This weekend might come a bit too soon for him. And Emile Smith-Rowe has like a groin injury that's been ongoing since preseason. Yeah. The funny thing is when he got injured, Arteta said, oh, it'll be a few days. And here we are a month later and they're unsure if he'll play this weekend. He'll probably make the bench if he's if he's ready. Uh, I don't imagine he'll come straight in and start. Are any managers accurate with 
injuries. <laughs> so we, no, we well, as well, Liverpool fans. It's a, most of well, Klopp lies. Klopp yeah. lies every time he opens his mouth to the media because he's, he just finds it funny. Um, you'd imagine he just goes back to his office and laughs hysterically at the things he's told them, especially when he then reads the simpletons putting it in their in their publications. I think most managers probably do lie, but I think Smith Rowe might have just had a setback. Um, Arteta just doesn't answer questions he doesn't lo- doesn't want to answer. Like that's kind of his thing. If there's something he doesn't want to answer, like such as an injury thing, he'll just say something. Like, you know, we have players in that position or the squad is strong or something like that. He, he won't generally give away any kind of detail. So I my guess is that Smith Rowe had a little niggle and it became something more. Um, Arsenal had a, a good first half against Palace. Second half was poor. Leicester were sort of the other way around. They had a good first half. They scored right at the start of the second half and then things fell apart on them. So if they both have a good half and both have a bad half, it just depends on whether those things happen in the same half. Like if Arsenal have a good first half and Leicester have a bad first half, it's just about who scores the more goals. I think Arsenal will win this game, though, at home with a little bit of momentum behind them. They look quite confident in that first half against Palace. Leicester, like you said, there's a lot of noise around Leicester at the moment with... Madison with Fafana, injuries, Casper Schmeichel's gone. Where's the leadership now? Can Johnny Evans stay fit? Can they rely on Vardy? There's so many questions. Are the players still listening to Rodgers? There's so many questions here at the minute. I think I'll go for the Arsenal win 2-1. Yeah, I think it might be a... I think it could be fun because it could just turn into absolute chaos. But in terms of one to watch, I mean... Maybe the answer is who Arsenal start at centre-back, because if Tommy Asu's back fit, does he revert back to um, White and Gabriel, or does he keep Saliba, who was so impressive in the first game? And That might be the one thing to watch. That is a big question, because Saliba was by far their best player against Palace. And if Tommy Asu is back, well, you know, if he, if he's fit enough to start, which you'd assume he would be, Ben White really struggled defensively at right-back. So Tommy Asu has to come in, surely, uh, especially considering Leicester are a better team going forward than Palace, especially Palace without Elise. So you'd imagine Tommy Asu has to come into the team, which puts Ben White either at centre-back or out of the team. And I would say put him out of the team. If they drop Saliba after his performance last weekend, I think it would be madness. So well, he's, Saliba, still, he's still got a contract dispute, hasn't he? Has he only that's got two the thing. Years left or something? He's got two years left and he wants to play every single week. He's been very clear on that. And if he gets left out with the transfer window still open, he could kick up a bit of a fuss, especially after the performance he put in last weekend. I think he'll start Saliba... And I think he'll start White and hold Tommy Asu back, is my guess. Mm. I think he'll want to push that decision off a little bit. And I also think they have to be really careful with Tommy Asu. They just have to be, because he missed so much of last season. But the, the move is drop Ben White and make Ben White the backup to Tommy Asu and Saliba. Um, that's what they should do. Uh, in terms of one to watch, I'll, I, I was going to say Saliba. I think he is the one. He was so good last weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing him at one end and Fafana at the other. 
those two obviously were teammates at Sendethian. They're good friends. And it'll be interesting to just get a, you know, get a comparison between the two in the same game. Yeah, because wasn't it Saliba was more highly thought of, but Fafana was seen as the better defender, or might have been the other way around. Yeah, Saliba yeah. was more highly rated as an all-round footballer, but Fafana was seen as the better defender. And when they played together, it was kind of that. Saliba was the the ball-playing one, and Fafana took care of a lot of the defensive stuff. But Saliba's a good defender in his own right. Like It's not like he's just... He's not like a Ben White where he's just a footballer. He's a very good defender too. But those two, you know, along with the likes of Ibu Kanate and Maxence Lacroix, that's a, a very, very strong centre-back core for France for the next 10 years. And there's probably 200 more. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I mean, Badi Achille, Lot Badet, um, Jules Koundé, we can count yeah. him because he plays centre-back, uh, Jean-Claire Tadibo. The Bayern there's, Munich there, one. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nianzu? Nianzu. Nianzu yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so many. There's so many. And Simikin at um at RB Leipzig as well. Mm, he He's another one that's very, very highly rated. PSG, I mean, they'll always have... Uh, yeah, he said he's been linked to PSG today, hasn't he? Or today or yesterday. Yeah. Um. You've got Lukeba, the centre-back at, at Lyon. He's a massive talent. There's just so many. How they produce this volume of centre-backs is just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And the rest of the world should be terrified because France have won a World Cup. They'll go to the next one as favourites. And it, truthfully, they're probably not going to peak until 2026. And could still be going strong by 2030. They could win three, four World Cups in a row if they're smart. Yeah, certainly got the talent to do so. But uh, we'll move on before we uh, go down. <laughs> go down one of them. Uh, yes, Steve, we don't Steve, have a huge Steve, amount of time. Uh, so. We'll go through one of them Steve Bruce uh, walkways we tend to. Um, Brighton, Newcastle. Now, this is an interesting game. Probably two of the more impressive teams from the... Uh, Maybe not Newcastle, they just got the job done efficiently, uh, whereas Brighton just completely schooled United. Um, yeah. I, probably one of the closer games in the league. I'm not sure how to call this one. Yeah, I mean, this is very much two teams that will be battling out for sort of, you know, 8th to 10th in the league. Um, you could picture them being very, very close come the end of the season. Newcastle, like you said, got the job done last week, beat Forest. You, Brighton went to Old Trafford and just outplayed United. Uh, Brighton, close enough to full strength. Jakob Mulder's out long term, but they've known that for ages. And then Stephen Alzetti's out, and he's out for another couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, the tune, though, no Shelby. Uh, Jamal Lewis, still not back. Emil Kraft, still not back. Manquillo, still not back. Jamal Lachelles is fit again. Uh, Federico Fernandez probably a week away. I think this will be a good game. I do. It, like It's two progressive managers in Graham Potter and Eddie Howe. It's two teams that want to play on the front foot. I think the midfield battle is going to be fascinating because you've got Bruno Gomeric, how outstanding he is, against 
I think one of the better young midfielders in the league in Moises Casado, who really impressed me in that United game. Yeah, and Wepu um, came on as well and did quite Wepu well. Wepu came on, and, and again, it just the, the dynamism, the drive that he brings. Alexis um, McAllister is a defensive midfielder, though. I mean, that's worth Yeah, it was, it was an interesting shout. I mean, he, he's obviously tried Lalana in that deeper role to get more playmaking, you know, to be able to help build out from the back. Alexis is very strong, so his press resistance is excellent. And he did have a, have a lot of joy against United. But this is a bigger test because United don't press. They've, they've been managed Gimeresh, for the last, <laughs> at least yeah, exactly nearly a year. <laughs> like Gamerish, uh, Willock and Jolington, they're all good pressers. So he won't get as much time on the ball here. Uh, so that's why I think this is a big test for, for Alexis McAllister. I think this is going to be a really close game, and I'm actually going to go the draw. I'll go 1-1. Player to watch, maybe Levi Colwell might get a start, but might be a smidge too early as well. Might just be a smidge too early for him. I'm going to go with Alexis McAllister because I want to see how he reacts when he's pressed by Gamerish, yeah. how he does up against Gamerish in midfield. But it's ba- basically, I-, I want to see both midfields. That's where I'm I'm looking forward to this game. That 3-0 for mm-hmm. Newcastle were good last week. If they can stay together, that's going to be fairly strong. And maybe Toon don't need to add to it for now. And then with Brighton, I'm hoping he starts Mwepu. I want to see Mwepu, Casado, and McAllister together as a three. Because with his playmaking and their ability to dominate yeah. physically from box to box. It reminds me a little bit of a midfield that I once saw play for Juventus, where a former number 10, who had earlier in his career moved into that deeper deeper role, moved from AC Milan to Juventus and was joined by two powerful box-to-box type midfielders. That Juve midfield of Pirlo behind Vidal and Marquisio this midfield could, not talent-wise, that's not what I'm saying, but just stylistically, with McAllister, a former number 10, dropping into that deeper role, having the game ahead of him, being able to dictate play. Mwepu's stylistic profile is quite similar to a young Vidal, and I think Casado reminds me quite a lot of Marquisio, his mm. ability to win the ball, his ability to carry the ball, the quick thought, the give-and-go actions. Like, there's... A couple of moments in that uh, United game where he wins the ball, he gives it and he goes. He doesn't get the pass back. But if he had gotten the ball back, he was breaking into large open spaces with United retreating from him. And it could have caused major problems for United. So I think as the team gets more used to him and he gets more used to them, I think we'll see a lot more from him. Uh, but I'm always excited to watch Brighton. I, I always have a soft spot for Brighton, as as I've said before. Yeah, quite telling United missed out on Casado. Yes. Sums up where they've been the last few years. But we'll move on to Man City against Bournemouth. Bournemouth had the perfect start, as we as we alluded to uh, earlier on. Um, but so did Man City. They kind of brushed past West Ham and a team that's caused them troubles at times. I think Man City have a really good record, but it's always been somewhat difficult. But last weekend, it literally looked like they were playing just anyone. Um, 
So you'd have to say Man City, on paper at least, they should be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the weekend where Bournemouth get a proper welcome to the Premier League. Great win last weekend, obviously, to come up, beat Villa 2-0, get an early goal, and then be very comfortable for most of the game. City, as you said, I mean, they, they just kind of brushed West Ham away like, like you would swat away a fly. And Erling Haaland got up and running. And West Ham have a pretty good defence. I don't know that the Bournemouth defenders are going to enjoy their afternoon trying to cope with that Viking. Uh, I think this is going to be a heavy City win. I'm going to go 4-0. I'm guessing your one to watch is Erling Haaland again? It is Erling Haaland, and it will remain Erling Haaland in basically every <laughs> City game this season. If Phil Foden plays, he's obviously always worth a watch, but Erling Haaland is, is the reason to watch this game. Yeah, it just that should be pretty rudimentary for Man City. Next up's a game that should be interesting. Uh, Southampton against Leeds, and Southampton started off well against Spurs, but it didn't. Whereas Leeds battled back with Wolves and some people like Brendan Aronson who had some doubts about him because his record in Salzburg wasn't overly amazing, but he certainly impressed by everyone who watched it live. Um, whereas Southampton, I think some stuff came out about Ralph Hasenhutl, how he's lost the trust of the dressing mm. room, which, yeah. yeah, Not ideal not, a week not, into the not season. Not good. Um, not ideal. I, Almost too early. Is it too early? But maybe it's a must win for Southampton and mainly Ralph already. Yeah, for him, I think so. For him, I think he needs to he needs to get this weekend right. It not necessarily has to win, but I think he has to get his tactics right. If they get a draw, but he gets everything right and it's just, you know, a little bit of bad luck goes against him or an individual mistake, that's one thing. You know, against Spurs, this is the second season they've taken a heavy beating from Spurs and he's been too dogmatic in his approach. Like when Spurs got their second goal last weekend, he should have made a change. He should have changed things up at half time, but he didn't. He stuck with what he was, what he was doing and it wasn't working. So I think there's little to no chance this game ends nil nil because neither of these teams are particularly good defensively. I think it'll be a very exciting game. A lot of good young players on on view. Um, two aggressive pressing teams. Both managers came from the Red Bull system. So they have similar principles to the game. Marsh is more ingrained in that Red Bull side. Hasenhutl has a lot of influence from Klopp, coupled with the Red Bull side of things. I just don't know who's scoring the goals for Southampton. That's my big question mark. I don't know who's scoring yeah. the goals. And Adam Armstrong was basically on an iceberg by himself in the season. Yeah, and like Che Adams apparently could leave. You know, they played Armstrong with Arebo, but Arebo's really a midfielder. They played Gineppo as a wingback, which is just silly. There was just a lot of questionable decisions. Now, I expect a reaction. I want to see them b- bounce back. I want to see Southampton stay up because I really like what they've done in the in the transfer window I, the last couple of years with this recruitment of young players, high high potential young players. 
But like you said, I mean, Leeds fought back last weekend. Now, I thought Wolves were the better team, but Leeds got the win. So they've already proven early that they can do that. They can win when they're not the better team. That's something they couldn't do last season. Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go for a Leeds win. I am. I'm going to go for a Leeds win. I just think they looked quite strong last weekend defensively. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at that back four, they played uh, Christensen and Struik as the fullbacks. Didn't overcommit. Cock and Laurenti were never left on, on an island by themselves. The uh, Roja and Adams partnership worked really well together. I'm going to go for the Leeds win. I'll go 2-1 to Leeds. Because I just don't see where Southampton get the goals from. I won't ask you one to watch, but if they do lose, I think Ralph could get sacked. I mean, Ralph is the one to watch here. Ralph yeah. is the one to watch. I mean, of a, of, from a player, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Romeo Lavia again because I mm. thought he, he was one that did look good against Spurs. Uh, but Ralph uh, Ralph Hasnut was the one to watch here because his job is under... When it comes out that you're losing the dressing room from reliable journalists, you're in trouble. You, it may already be too late. Now, we've seen in the past Southampton ownership tell the players, if it comes down to him or you, you will go and he will stay. So they've had incredible faith in him. But Premier League survival is what matters. And if they were to get rid of him now and bring someone in, maybe it would give them a better chance of staying up. The question is, who do you bring in? Like, who's sitting out there right now? Sean Dyche is the obvious one who's available in terms of a proven Premier League operator who should be able to keep you up. And if you look at the Southampton squad, it's a squad that he could work with. You'd go, you'd go with Walker-Peters at right back, Perot at left back, Basuno in goal. Bednarak Salisu. He's going to play four in midfield, but I think he's playing Ward-Prowse on the right, Lavia yeah. and Romeo in the middle, and off the left, I think he'd probably go with... It wouldn't surprise me if he went with someone like um, with Joe Aribo on the left. Do you know what? And played a narrow, compact, yeah. Yeah, tucked-in yeah, yeah. four. And then if he went with Stuart Armstrong, just off a striker, even though Stuart Armstrong's more of a midfield player, he's a very hard worker. He's a diligent presser. Mm-hmm. And Dyche likes that sort of one-up, one-a-little-bit-off kind of pairing. He's used Jay Rodriguez in that secondary role, Vidra in that secondary role. Bond next to... Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, it's wh- Whoever was next to Chris Wood would play a little bit off. And I, I think he'd look to bring in a striker because obviously that's what they need. But, yeah, I, I think Dyche could make sense. What though... if they stood in the RB uh, um, mould and Marco Rosa, I know you're a fan of? Someone, yeah. Someone like I that. Mean, he, he'd be a gamble because things didn't go great at Dortmund. And obviously the end of his Gladbach spell was poor as well. Because, look, when, when the manager turns around and says, I'm leaving at the end of the season to join a rival. Yeah. And the club go, right, well, we're going to announce it now. And they announce it in a really terse kind of way. The relationship starts to sour. 
and things went bad. And then he went to Dortmund under a bit of a cloud and it was all a bit messy. Uh, Marco Rose could be an, could be an option. But I, I just think if you're going to sack him now, it's because you're worried about going down. So get the guy in that you feel gives you the best chance of staying in the division. And that is Sean Dyche. Get Mark Hughes back. Um, We'll move on. Wolves against Fulham. Two teams. Fulham had an excellent performance and result against Liverpool. Mm. Um, Wolves, as you said, you you, you thought they were the better team against Leeds. Um, But that, again, similarly to the start of last season, that didn't get points on the board that at the start no. of last season. Maybe a similar story here. Um, maybe get to see your long-standing mate Gwedesh yeah. in the Premier League. Um, what would you make of this one? I'm looking forward to this game. Um, with Fulham, we get to see Issa Diop potentially coming into the team, uh, who they've added this week. Bernard Leno, it seems like we'll stay on the bench for another week because. Uh, Marco Silva said Rodak has the number one shirt, so we'll we'll, we'll assume he'll he'll stay in goal. Uh, Harry Wilson's out for another little while. They had hoped to have him back, but now they're saying he won't be back till the start of October. Manor Solomon, he got injured. He could be out for a long time. Um, Chalaba's back fit, so he could be an option in midfield. But they were really good in midfield last weekend. And Joe Bryan is is working his way back from a broken foot. Wolves have a lot of injuries as well, though. I mean, Adama has a hamstring injury. He's not expected to play. Joe Matinho is a week away or maybe two weeks away. Nelson Semedo's not quite ready yet. Jimenez, they think it'll be the start of next month. And uh, Chiquinho's out for most of the season with, with an ACL injury. But this will be game two for Collins and Kilman together. And I liked enough of what I saw last weekend. Eight Nuri at left back. It's three quarters of a very strong defence. Johnny Otto, I thought, struggled a bit last weekend. Didn't think he played particularly well, but he missed a lot of football. It's going to take him a while to get back up to full rhythm. The midfield battle here is where this game will be interesting. Paulinha and Reed against then Donker and Neves. Now, it would have been Paulinha and and Neves if Paulinha had joined Wolves which is where he was expected to go to begin with. I think the game gets won and lost there, and I think I'd put my money on Wolves at home. Like you said, uh, Guedes comes in. That's an extra goal-scoring threat. Should see Neto move to the right. So you guess Pedence as the 10 behind Wang. So you've got creativity, you've got pace, you've got movement. You get Neves' passing range, Dendonker's power from midfield. I'm going to go for Wolves. I'm going to go for Wolves. I think it'll be a good game, though. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 3-2 to Wolves. Or, th- yeah, 3-2 to Wolves. 3-2 to Wolves. Mitrovic will cause some problems. Yeah, I can see that as well. I can see that as well. I think that's one that could, it wouldn't surprise you, either, whoever wins that game. But it should be should be quite interesting to see. Um. Late kickoff, which is on Sky, the early ones on Big T, I didn't mention that at the time. Brentford against United. Like, could this... I don't know if this is an opportunity for United or it's the worst game possible because we saw... I, I can't remember what Brentford Stadium's called. But the Brentford Stadium... Um, the Brentford Community Stadium. That's the one. That was a cauldron and a horrid place to play last season. Mm. 
we saw United go up against a really co- well-coached team last weekend. Um, I'd probably put Brentford in a similar style, maybe not as well-developed, but they're uh, obviously moving four to 4-3-3 four, three, three as well. So maybe a good opportunity to play Brentford, but that stadium and that atmosphere last season was a real key component of their survival. It was. It was. And, and they've got a great home fan base, really loyal group of fans, and a good group of players. Now, they're going to be without Christopher Azure. They're going to be without uh, Sergi Canos and without Ethan Pinnock. But last weekend, they went with a defence of... Hickey at right back, uh, Rico Henry at left back, Pontus Janssen and Ben Mee. And for most of the game, it worked quite well. In midfield, I'm expecting Norgard and Janolt to be two of the three. I think Jensen's probably the third one this weekend. Um, I did I don't notice think... on social media that uh, Bournemouth Brentford fans are starting to not like Jensen. So it might yeah, be, I've seen might that. Be a, a change He's there. been a bit disappointing. Like, he was really good, then he got injured, and he just hasn't been the same since he came back. And he struggled last season. So he needs to step up. I just think it's probably a little bit too early for Damsgaard to start. Maybe De Silva so, gets the start. De Silva could start after that brilliant goal last yeah. weekend. They've got Onyeka. Like they've got options in there. They really do have good options in there. Um De Silva's actually a really good shout because that goal was Excellent. And if he's capable of doing that frequently, he, he'll be a problem for Premier League teams because when you can get a player that can operate between the lines and score goals, that's a player who has success in this league. Uh, United, uh, Palestri's out, Martial is out, Brandon Williams is out, Lindelof is out, and obviously Mason Greenwood is, is suspended until further notice. There's so many question marks over United. And we saw, like, we've been watching Joel Mata play for Liverpool for a long time, Guy. And yeah. Joel Matip's biggest strengths are his ability to carry the ball and his aerial ability. They're the two things he's he's been best at for his, during his time at Liverpool. And last season, we saw Ivan Tony absolutely annihilate him. Yeah. Just batter him. And Van Dijk, to be fair. Yeah. Looking, yeah, and and what's he gonna do to a five foot nine centre back who looked a little bit slow last weekend as well? Should have given away a stonewall penalty. Stonewall penalty. He's not going to get away with that again. You've got the fridge playing next to him now. If if the manager sends, he'll put Varane in, but we'll wait and see. Like I think Ivan Tony, if it's Maguire and Martinez, he can go up against Maguire and just outpace him. Yeah. If it's Martinez, he can bully him in the air. You've got uh, Mbwomo and Wissa offering pace and creativity in the wide areas and goal threat. You've got Keane Lewis Potter offering goal threat off the bench, probably. And that midfield is exceptionally hardworking. It's really well synced in. Everyone knows the role. They all have specific roles and they all perform them. They've all been bought to profile for those roles. Whereas with United, I mean, the defence doesn't work. The midfield doesn't work. The attack is a group of talented individuals, but it didn't work at all last weekend. I mean, the goal they got is purely down to Robert Sanchez. It's not been very good. Mm. I think United could be looking at another defeat here. I'm going to go I'm going to go 2-0 to Brentford. 
And obviously the Cristiano question. Yeah. Is he going to play? Is he not? If he plays, I mean, he offers a goal threat, but nothing else. And he won't press, which means Brighton will be able, or Brentford rather, will be able to build out from the back a little bit. And Ben Mee is a good passer of the ball. The two fullbacks are good passers of the ball. He'll worry them with his pace, but I, I'm going to go 2-0 to Brentford. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. I think the only good, the only thing about Ronaldo coming in and maybe is Martial back? No, he? no, he's out. No, so the only good thing about that is that Ericsson could go deeper, but he doesn't help defensively in that position. No, he, he just makes links it worse the, defensively. Yeah, he just links the team a bit better, but maybe that equals a goal, but maybe it means conceding two or three, as you say. But uh, one to watch. Um, I'm guessing it's Tony on on that. On that weakness thing there? Yeah, I'm going to go Ivan Tony. Well, no, you know what? I'm going to go Lisandro Martinez on the other side of that because I want to see how he deals with that. Yeah. Because Brighton caused him all manner of trouble. And that was Danny Welbeck. That was Danny Welbeck. And Ivan Tony is significantly better than Danny Welbeck. So, yeah, that that's what I want to see. Yeah. Should be interesting. It should be interesting. But we'll move on to Sunday. Um, Forest against West Ham, Dave. I mean, Forest, again, I didn't watch the... I, I saw the highlights, and by most accounts, Forest just really struggled to get a foothold in that game. Yeah. Um, and West Ham, all, almost similar, but we, we know the qualities there, Rice, etc. <sighs> but game at the City Ground? Am I being mental? Is it the City Ground? City, ground, the city yeah. ground, yeah. Um, at the City Ground, I imagine a mental atmosphere... West Ham with the injuries and, and, and stuff there, losing people out of the squad and failing basically every transfer by like by the looks of it. Um an opportunity for Forrest, maybe? I think so. I think so. No Agard, no Ogbonna, no Dawson and Diop sold. West Ham have one fit centre back, and it's Kurt Zuma. Ben Johnson played centre back last weekend. He's not a centre back, he's a good young right back. He's not a centre back. So I would have concerns about their defence. We know they're strong in midfield. We know they're strong in attack. It'll be interesting to see if he starts Antonio again or if he brings in Schumacher. I think Forrest, with the crowd going bananas, which I believe they will, I think we're going to see the city ground absolutely bouncing from about noon on Saturday when the crowd starts to go in. And I think by the time the game kicks off, it'll just be a cauldron. Forrest's transfer policy has meant there's a lot of new players coming in. And that takes a little bit of time. So you could look at last weekend as almost, you know, like a trial run. There were things that worked and things that didn't. Now, I think Steve Cooper is a very clever manager. I think he'll have noticed the things and the players that didn't really work for him. And I think we'll see a number of changes this weekend from what played last weekend. So last weekend, they lined up. Dean Henderson in goal, he'll still be there. Worrell, Niakata and McKenna. I said before, and I, I said it after last week's game, I think McKenna and Niakata swapped would be better off. McKenna in the middle, Niakata on the left. But mm. that three will work. Tofolo looked a little bit Awed by Premier League football, but I you give him the benefit of the doubt. Nico Williams had a bit of a rough game on the right. 
where they struggled was in centre midfield. Lewis O'Brien and Jack Callback just couldn't get a handle on the game. Now, O'Brien was his first game at the Premier League level. I just think Callback, Callback is a little bit past being a Premier League starter. I don't even know if he was ever good enough to be a real Premier League starter anyway. I think we'll see Oral Mangala come in and start in this one. Uh, they're hoping to have Ryan Yates back, but he'll probably just make the bench. Omar Richards is out as well, obviously. And I think there'll be a change up front. I think a 1E will start next to Brennan Johnson with Jesse Lingard in behind them. So I, I think there'll be two personnel changes. I think Mangala and a 1E start over Callback and Surich. And I think we could well see that back three just slightly rejigged. We should also see some more of the summer signings on the bench. And I'm going to back Forrest to win. Now, you know I think West Ham are good. You know I think Moyes is very good. And what he's done there is really impressive. But I just think Forrest fans will see them over the line. It's been a long, long, hard road back. I'm going to back Forrest to win. I'm going to say a fun game. I'm going to say 3-2. Entertainment galore. I like it. I like it. And I'm I'm interested to see Forrest because, as I said, I didn't catch the uh, Unicult match of the day highlights and basically seeing an entire new team by a couple of centre-backs <laughs> mm. and uh, and Brennan Johnson. It should be it should be interesting to see. And West Ham, yeah, the City game, it, it, it's just, it's no opportunity to show anything. It's not. It's not. City are just yeah. on a different level. Uh, if he starts, then Schumacher is the one to watch for me. Yeah. I, I'm really curious. If he doesn't, I'll go Teo Awani because, I yep. mean, we never got to see him for Liverpool and uh, I want to see what we missed out on. Absolutely. Uh, next game, then, probably the most eye-catching one of, of the weekend, Chelsea against Spurs. Now, I'd probably say this is a good opportunity for Spurs because I think everyone has them basically third. Maybe yeah. some people fourth with Chelsea swap ground or, or maybe the odd Arsenal shout in there. But if I remember correctly, Spurs at Chelsea, leaving last season when Conte came in, I think it was the League Cup semi-final that beat them, if I remember correctly. might have been the FA Cup as well. So it kind of seems like this would be a good measure of their development. Obviously, didn't start any of the new signings last week, but Basuma was coming back off injury. Um, Edison Royale maybe just continued his good end-of-season form, so he just got mm. the nod there. Um, whereas Chelsea against Everton's tough because Everton played 200 men behind the ball, so yeah, there's no space at all, yeah. So it's it probably a good opportunity for Chelsea to show what they can do. But outside of Sterling, there wasn't loads of bright spots in that game. Um, so I think it's a good opportunity for Spurs to show their level, but it's an also an opportunity to show Chelsea maybe with more of a, a fluent attack because. Picking pieces Thomas Tuchel actually wants, maybe? Yeah, I think this will be a really good game. I mean, like you said, they both won last weekend. They both put forward, you know, different performances just against yeah, against different teams. So Southampton came and tried to play football. Everton had no interest in playing football. So Chelsea struggled to break them down. Spurs had the freedom of the park to do what they wanted, really. Uh, Chelsea have had a blow, Kovacic is out that's massive for them because I think he would have been really important in this one and Marcus Alonso is obviously he's trying to leave so he's not playing uh, for Spurs, Oli Skip is the only one out, he's a couple of weeks away so both teams 
close to full strength. Kovacic, the only loss for Chelsea. So you're looking at probably Reese James, Kante, Jorginho and Chilwell across the middle. Because I think, I think we might see Cucurella play in the back three. Right. Now, that could work to to Chelsea's benefit because if he's in the back three on the left side, he'd be picking up the right-sided forward for Spurs, which is Dejan Kulisewski, mm. who tore Southampton apart last yeah. week. And maybe he can do a man-marking job on him. Now, that could mean Koulibaly in the middle or Koulibaly moving across to the right side to try and deal with the pace of Youngman's son. If that if that happens though, that does leave Thiago Silva isolated on Harry Kane. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to be an issue. I think the midfield battle will be fairly close. Uh, you know, if, if Basuma plays, I'd probably give an edge to Basuma and Bentancourt over Kante and Jorginho at this point in their careers. As you said, the only really the only real bright spot in attack for Chelsea is Raheem. Everything else is questionable right now. You know, left options now too with Werner going. Werner going, yeah. and it looks like Callum Hudson Odoi wants to leave. Uh, now they've got Broy as an option, and they've got um, Pulisic as an option, and Zayic can play and whatever else, but he wants to leave as well. You know, but there's questions over all of them, and there's questions over Kai Havertz and. There's just a lot of questions. But as you said, there is a little bit of a, a bogey ground type of thing about Stamford Bridge for Chelsea, or for, for Spurs, rather. Um, I think Conte will really want this one, though. Like, I think he'll have had this one ringed in the calendar from the minute the draw was made. Or the, 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 sorry, the minute the schedules came out. I'm going to go the draw. I'm going to go the draw. I'll go 2-2. I think Sterling will cause Spurs problems. And I, I just don't see how Chelsea can stop that Spurs attack for the entire game. So I'll go 2-2. I think it should be a very good game. It's obviously the marquee game of the weekend. Mm -hmm. And sort of the first marquee game of the season. So it'll be interesting to see where these two sides st uh, stand. How they stack up against each other. Obviously... One way or another, if Arsenal win, they'll be ahead of one of these teams, if not both of these teams. If if you know this game ends in a draw and Arsenal win, uh, which will of course lead to Arsenal fans telling us that they're winning the league. But you know, Arsenal, Arsenal should be watching this game carefully because these are the two teams that you're competing with. I don't think they're on the same level as either of them, but this is what our Arsenal fans need to watch this game and, and just see what these teams look like early in the season. Yeah, and, and going off your praise earlier, is, is you want to watch Kulishevsky there? Yeah, because I, I just thought he was absolutely outstanding last weekend. I thought he was really, really good. Um, I've just started looking at Arsenal's fixture list and it, it really is very favourable up until week nine. <laughs> There's a reason everyone has Gabby Jesus and the FPL diff. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. So, I think most they, people have Jesus and Martinelli as a, as a team. They get Leicester, yeah. they get Bournemouth, they get Fulham, they get Villa, they get United, though it is away, they get Everton, they get Brentford, 
and then they get Spurs, and they assume, at, and then they get Liverpool, and then away to Leeds, and then then City. So it does get much more difficult, but it's a very nice eight game run. So <clears throat> when Arsenal have won, I don't know, five and drawn two and lost one after eight games, uh, and are sitting third or whatever. And the Arsenal fans get very excited. We should just remind them that they've had, you know, the powder puff start to the season. Those were the games that slipped up, in to be fair to them, though. The Everton's and um, Palace, Newcastle, etc. It was also the fact that the top teams smacked. Well, yeah, they were, but that's Arsenal. It's what you expect. (laughs) But if if they beat the bad teams, they should get top four, you'd think. But um, yeah, there's a reason I think everyone. I think you question why everyone has Jesus in one of our WhatsApp groups. But yeah, that, that's why. Um, on to Monday then, and obviously speaking as two Liverpool fans, I think we all deem the Fulham game a must-win because we know what City'll do. Mm. They'll just reel off wins. Now this puts a lot more pressure on this game because yeah. we have to wait all weekend. We see the other results. If City, City drop, if City drop points, I mean, it, it it may be a bit more pressure off. But City Liverpool are hundred Bournemouth. Yeah. They're not yes. Well, they lost to Norwich one year. <laughs> um, <laughs> you could always hope, but Liverpool have to win this game. Yeah, whether they play well, poorly, terribly, awfully, amazingly, they don't have to win this game because if they get off to the season with two points, that we we know how tight the Premier League's been before. It it could be. A, the defining results in the Premier League after two game weeks. It could, because we look back at last year, and I, I'll say it until I'm blue in the face and I will die on this hill. Liverpool finishing one point behind City was only because City stumbled in the second half of the season. Liverpool were never favourites to win the league. Liverpool lost the league early in the season. They drew with Brentford in match week six. They drew with Brighton in match week 10. They lost to West Ham in match week 11. And then they lost to Leicester in match week 20. So the Leicester one is the second half of the season. The others, actually, the Leicester game was actually Liverpool's 19th game of the season because the Leeds game got cancelled. Yeah. So it was actually the last game of the first half of the season. But those three games in the first 11, even just those two, even just those two, Brentford and Brighton, those games cost Liverpool the title last season. Win either of them, they win the league. And yet, you know, they threw away a 3-2 lead with 10 minutes to go against Brentford. They were 2-0 up against Brighton and cruising after 24 minutes and they managed to throw that one away against Brighton as well. So these draws can absolutely cost you the title. If they're four points behind City come Tuesday morning, it's going to be really hard. It is. Like, then you're you're not... Like, then it's out of your hands. You're relying on City to stumble, not once, but twice. Mm. You need them to drop points twice at that stage. And City are going to beat Bournemouth. They just are going to beat Bournemouth. If Bournemouth win, it will be the biggest shock in years in the Premier League. Like the biggest individual game shock. I could see Palace getting points at Liverpool. They're good enough. It's a very good team. They're well managed. Now, Palace, 
no Nathan Ferguson, no Jack Butland, no James MacArthur. At least they should make the bench. And James Tompkins is perma-injured. Uh, Liverpool have everybody missing. Like, Thiago's out. Curtis Jones is out. Jota's out. Kelleher's out. Ox is out. And Kanate's out. They're hoping, hoping that Simicus will make the bench and Naby Keita should play. So, you know, Naby Keita has to start, in my view. I, I think he has to go Elliot, Fabinho, and Keita. Mm-hmm. I think he has to go with that. I, I think that's option A. Option B is Elliot Henderson and Keita. But Elliot and, and Keita have to be the eights. They have to be the eights in this game, or Liverpool are going to have a problem. Um, I mean, Milner, Fabinho, and and Keita could work. Though, do you really want Milner on from the start? Not really. It, it's not a good situation. Liverpool need to address this. Anyway, last weekend, uh, Palace had a really bad first half but a quite promising second half and could have won the game. They had two great opportunities, one for Eduard, one for Ezzy. They they will create chances, and when Elise gets back on the pitch, they'll create even more. Now, of course, Liverpool will create chances as well. You'd expect that Darwin Nunes will start this game, or at least you'd hope that Darwin Nunes will start this game because Firmino was awful last weekend. Well, that's the thing you mentioned hope there. It's probably more hope than expectation in the midfield as well, isn't it? You, Henderson will start, and just yeah, you you know that Henderson's going to start. It wouldn't be surprising to me if he starts Milner, Henderson, so. Fabinho, and Milner. Mm. And if he does that, he's basically gifting a point to Crystal Palace. It it will take Palace being poor for Liverpool to win if that is the midfield. So it would, and like that's not even the worst possible combination. The worst possible combination involves Henderson playing on the left of the midfield because that's a train wreck and all by its own self. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to go for the win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Liverpool. I don't feel confident about it, to be totally honest with you. I, I don't feel good about it at all. Is, your, go is your one to watch Henderson at left centre mid? <laughs> God. No, my one to watch is Dukure as yeah. he gobbles up Henderson at left centre midfield. He was good, to be fair, and especially second there uh, yeah. against Arsenal. So, yeah, yeah great stuff. Uh, and that, that is the last Yeah, that is the last game. That is the last game. That is the weekend wrapped up. We'll be back on Monday to nervously prepare ourselves for that Liverpool game and to uh, obviously rattle through what had happened on Saturday and Sunday. So we'll see you then. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy your weekend. Make sure you wear your Factor 50. Meant to be a warm one. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.